It is good to be in the Crosspoint living room together this morning, and we're grateful that you're here, and we don't believe you're here by accident. As we get ready to sing, I want to I want to read you Psalm 23. Later, we'll be looking at uh, Psalm 16, and Psalm 23, they say, is kind of a companion to Psalm 16, speaking very similar truths about who our God is, reminding us who our God is, and the confidence we have in putting our trust in Him, placing our faith in Him, and that no matter what circumstances we may be facing and, and the sin that we may be fighting, the pressures that we are under, our God is still God. He's still worthy of praise and He cares for us as a shepherd would care for his sheep. And Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we are, thankful, we are so grateful that your perfect love drives out fear. We're grateful that you are our good shepherd and you care for your people. We're grateful for who you are, that you are God, you are in control, and we trust you. And I pray that we would lift you high this morning. We'd be reminded of who you are and who we are as a result. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up and sing. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art.
first verse of Psalm 23 says again, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do you and I know this morning that if we have Jesus, we have all that we need? That if we have nothing else, that God has still been generously uh, lavish in his grace and his love toward us through the giving of his son. As we give, we give our offering, as we sing, we give our offerings to God. We, we give generously because the Lord has been generous to us. We are We give generously because the Lord is our shepherd, and as a result, we lack nothing. In Philippians, it promises to us that that God will meet our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So we don't give in order to get. We're not in a contract with God. We're in a covenant relationship with God. We give because we know who our God is. We give because we know who our God is, and He is our shepherd, and we lack nothing. So we give out of a mindset that says, Lord, I know I cannot give you. I know that you will meet my needs. I know that as I trust in you and your wisdom, you will make my path straight. I know that when I store up treasure in heaven, it's worth it because I know the lives that will be impacted when I give are worth it. Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that you are a shepherd and as a result, we lack nothing. I pray that as we give, we would give cheerfully. We give faithfully, sacrificially, God. We wouldn't give begrudgingly or out of, out of just this compulsion or guilt. or guilt. And God, I pray that what, was, what is given here would be used for your kingdom, used to change lives, and not for Crosspoint's glory, but for yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ alone, my hope is found. My strength, my song, is cornerstone, is solid ground, firm in the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, I comfort her, my all in all. 
Christ alone He took on flesh Fullness of God in helpless rage His gift of love And righteousness Scorned by the ones He came to save Till on that cross As Jesus died The wrath of the throne of God. 
Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you for all of the many great things that we have in him. And in him alone uh, are found uh, the, the way to everlasting life, the, the way to uh, a, a fulfilled life here on this earth. God, forgiveness for our sins, uh, uh, the ability to approach you. Lord, we have so many things to praise you about because of your son, Jesus. Would you help us to do that this morning as we continue as we read a psalm this morning of praise to you, declaring what we have 
in your son. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Good morning again, Crosspoint. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be together in the living room, be back with you. And uh, it's whether you're joining us online or here in person, we're thankful that you're with us. We'll be in Psalm 16 this morning, so if you have a Bible on your lap or on your device, go ahead and get there. And uh, if you need a good Bible, then please get a free one at Guest Connections. Let that be our, our gift to you this morning. Some Crosspoint family news I wanted to share with you just so you can be continually praying for these families. Uh, we have two families in the church right now that are battling uh, brain cancer. Harlan and Patty Pearson. Harlan uh, has probably about two, two and a half weeks left of chemo and radiation. And so um, they'll be doing another MRI following that uh, to see the tumor and see where it's at and what next steps to take after that. Uh, And then also Bob and Dolores Schaefer. Bob has finished up chemo and radiation and be continuing uh, to pray for them as he battles this tumor. And so be praying for these families, encouraging them as you have opportunity. Love them as you have opportunity. If you need phone numbers, addresses, those kind of things, You can always contact the church office. So I want to pray for these families right now. Father God, uh, I pray that you would be uh, the Pearsons and the Schaefers, that you would be their strength, that you would be their hope. Uh, God, that you would um, bring healing. Lord, that you would bring endurance. Uh, Father, that you would give peace that surpasses all understanding. Uh, I pray that your presence would be uh, ever real to them in these moments. Um, Father, I thank you for the ways that these families and their, their loved ones are walking through this in a way that honors and glorifies you and that speaks of the living hope that they have. And I pray that you would encourage their hearts, give us opportunity to do that as well, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, part of our vision says that as a church, we want to be uh, driven to reach people. And over the summer, I've been trying to gather stories from cross-pointers who are living that vision out and how you're living that out. We've been sharing a couple of these stories on Facebook thus far, and I want to share with you uh, on a Sunday morning as well in case you're not connected to Facebook. I share these because I pray they might encourage us uh, to be driven to reach people as a way of life in our personal lives. And here's the first one. Over the last 10 years, I've been working alongside a work family, and just recently my job ended due to grant cuts and other changes. These relationships, conversations around lunch tables, and other things we went through while I was at this job allowed me the opportunity to send emails, write notes to specific people, and reiterate the love of Jesus and the gift of salvation before I left to make sure I had left nothing unsaid. During one specific time at this job, there was an Islamic woman who had spent much of her time sharing her faith around the office, sending emails, talking, uh, and all sorts of stuff. One time I was in the lunchroom alone with her and I was praying as I was washing the dishes that God would just open up a conversation with her about Jesus. The next words out of her mouth were, what do you believe in? Although I must say I stumbled over words and freaked out a little bit inside. I love the reality of that. Uh, And she says, like the, okay, maybe I wasn't quite quite ready to do this, God. Uh, I was reminded that God provides the words for us. Again, seeds, she writes. Still not sure what happened, where her heart is, but at least seeds were planted. That sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 3, 6, which tells us that uh, Paul writes it, and he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow, or but God gave the growth. And so our job is to cast seeds, to scatter seed, and then trust God for the growth. Here's another story. God is using me in my mom's neighbor's life right now. He's 84 years old, and his family isn't around. He's lonely, very lonely. He appreciates my friendship, and I have come to 
really call him a friend. We study the Bible together and pray together. Right now, we're praying for his children's salvation. He recently find, found out that he has pelvic wall cancer. His children came to, to the surgery with he and I, and I had a chance to pray with one of the daughters. It was wonderful, she writes. And if, if you've got a story to share, I'd, I'd encourage you to share that. Uh, stories remind us that the good news of Jesus is spreading through ordinary people like you and me who've been called out to be ambassadors of the good news. So share stories, little or big, whatever, whatever you would term that as, uh, share stories so we can encourage one another in how God is using us to be driven to reach people. We're in week five of our series, Wonderful Things, and I'm, I'm grateful for the past few weeks. Of, you've heard from two of our elders. You've heard from uh, my friend, Pastor Josh, over in Morton. I believe those messages, I know they encouraged me. I pray they encouraged you as well. Psalm 119.18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's my prayer, not only in the series, but on Sunday mornings, in our personal lives, when we open up our Bibles, that God would help us, would open up our eyes to see the wonderful things in His law, supernaturally do that, and today is no different. By now, you've probably found Psalm 16. I believe the psalm in particular will be an encouragement to us this morning. In my office, I've got verse 8 up on one of my boards. Um, it's, it says this, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. That's the ESV. But this verse has been a wonderful thing in my life over the past few years. I was reminded of it uh, recently as I was in the Psalms reading. It's been a wonderful thing in my life because there are times and seasons when I feel pressed, that I feel under fire, that my feet, in a sense, are kind of being held up to the flame. There are seasons when I'm walking through a trial, a test, a temptation, and in those moments, I'm tempted to be shaken. I'm tempted to be rattled. The voice of the Lord becomes not as loud as other voices in my life. Or I set other things before me instead of the Lord. Or I forget that the Lord is at my right hand. And in that season, I switch to relying on my own strength, which frankly doesn't get me very far. Can you relate to that? Are you in a season right now where you feel shaken, a bit stunned by the circumstances around you? Maybe you feel like you're under attack from the devil or, or this temptation from your own flesh has become really strong for you. Maybe the report from the doctor wasn't good. The relationship that you desire to see reconciled is still broken. That sin that you thought was dead, buried, and gone, it's resurrected itself in your life. Your future is still uncertain. You're facing a, a decision that you never thought you'd be facing before. You've been hurt deeply by someone who you considered a, a, a close friend. The circumstances that surrounded you right now, they, they've changed recently. And you're still trying to get a handle on things. If you can relate to some of that, whether in your past or that's your present reality, I believe Psalm 16 is going to be a, a great encouragement and challenge to you. I know it's been for me and my heart this last week. I often say that when I'm up here, the first person I'm preaching to is, is my own heart, is my own life. And that's true right now. I, I'm right in the middle of a season right now that I, I need the reality and truth of this psalm. And the Holy Spirit has impressed it upon my heart that many of you do as well. And so David is the writer of the psalm. A psalm is simply a praise song. It's a prayer, a song. The, the psalms are a, basically the equivalent of the Hebrew hymn book. 
a collection of prayers and songs that led the Hebrew people in worship. They still lead us in worship. And David right now, in the context of Psalm 16, is being hunted down by Saul in this psalm. Saul is the king of Israel, knows that David is the anointed king, that, that one day he will take the throne eventually, and Saul wants to kill David. Saul has all the soldiers. David has some mighty, some mighty men, but the number pales in comparison. Saul has 3,000 soldiers. Um, David probably has 400. So Saul has seven to eight times more soldiers. David is feeling pressed. He's feeling under fire, under attack, if you will. This psalm was written during a time of, of, of peril, threat, danger. The Hebrew word you may see in your, in your Bible describes Psalm 16 as miktam. And that word has a couple meanings. One is, is secret, or the idea of covering your lips. Like if we were playing hide-and-go-seek, we'd be, and you, if you've ever hidden, maybe you remember this as a kid, or you've played hide-and-go-seek with your, with your kids when they're smaller, and you find a great hiding, hiding place, and your person next to you says, this is a great spot, isn't it? it's a secret and you kind of close your put your finger up to your lips that's the idea here we're hiding from the enemy as david is at this point so this is a secret psalm if you will another definition of miktam is gold some say psalm 16 is the golden psalm gold has great value psalm 16 is a secret that is of great value in fact a secret that is far more valuable than gold it's a truth that the Lord doesn't want to remain secret, but wants to declare to us today. It's a truth that is like gold in the bank, reminding us of all the benefits, all the joy, all the strength we have in following Jesus and placing our faith and trust in Him. It's like gold in the bank to be reminded that even when we are pressed, our God is still God, He's still good, and He still cares for His children. Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David is being pressed and tested, and he prays, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I, I have no good apart from you. This is not a lament psalm. This is not a psalm of despair or complaint. This is settled joy. This is David praising God despite trouble, despite trial and test. Charles Spurgeon wrote this in regards to the words of David. Preserve me from the world. Let me not be carried away with its excitements. Preserve me from the devil. Let him not tempt me above what I am able to bear. Preserve me from myself. Keep me from growing envious, selfish, high-minded, proud, slothful. Preserve me from these evils into which I see others run. 
and preserve me from these evils into which I am myself most apt to run. Keep me from evils known and from evils unknown. So David prays, O God, for in you I take refuge. Not only is he praying for refuge from Saul, his enemy, but refuge from his own flesh, refuge from his own temptations and sin. When we are pressed and tempted, we are often tempted to run not toward the things of God, but run toward the things of this world. We're tempted to try to find shelter or build a shelter out of things that, frankly, just don't hold up in a storm. In high school, we took this class called Workshop of Life. Uh, it was probably uh, my favorite high school class of all four years. I don't think they do it anymore. Probably too much liability, but it was an awesome class. Um, one of the things we did was we had what was called a survival trip. Maybe this was the deciding factor. I don't know. Um, but it was basically a, a one-night camping trip, but it was a survival trip, so you could only take limited supplies, so it wasn't like you could bring your Coleman tent. All right, you and your group had to make a shelter out of the resources at the location that they dropped you at, and you didn't know where you were going, those kind of things. And, and so we built this shelter out of limbs and branches and saplings, and it was, it was a good shelter. One of my friends, it, it was better because one of my friends had just broken up with, with, with a girlfriend, and so he was ticked off, and he was sad, and he was upset, and he had an axe. And so he, <laughs> he chopped down probably this three-inch tree. I won't name names. He's not here, but I won't name names. Um, but he probably chopped down this three-, four-inch tree, and it was bad for him, good for us. I mean, we got a lot of things off this tree, probably good for the girlfriend too because the guy had some emotions, all right? Um, but man, he, he was a man with that, with that axe. And so we built this shelter. Shelter was great. We got an A on that portion of the project. You would not have wanted the shelter on a day like this. You wouldn't have wanted to hang out there for a season. It wasn't rainproof by any stretch. When pressed... What or in whom are you taking refuge? Is it yourself? Is it in how you're perceived in life? How you're perceived on social media? Is it in a hidden sin? An addiction? Alcohol? Food? Sex? Medications? When pressed or tested, do you, do you run to work to try to find your refuge in the accolades and the accomplishments, that that kind of becomes you. The attaboys become the umbrella that you're trying to find your refuge in. All of which are just this flimsy shelter of branches and limbs with a foundation that will wash away in the slightest of, of rain. David knows, just like Spurgeon did, and just like we do, that the greatest thing that he is most tempted to try to find his shelter in is himself. When pressed, Instead of trusting in God, to begin to trust in himself. Preserve me, O God, he says, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. He's declaring these realities to his own heart. The Psalms are full of words where the writers are basically preaching to their own hearts. Lord, it's in you I take refuge. You are my Lord, I, I'm not the Lord of my own heart, but you are Jesus, and apart from you, I have nothing apart from you. There's no good thing apart from you. I can't bear fruit. Apart from you, there's no good thing. Without you, I have nothing. David is reminded of the grace and mercy of God. When pressed and tested in those seasons, one thing the Lord is trying to teach us in those times is that it's only in Him that we find our rest and our safety. That when it comes, that when we, it seems that we're at the bottom, because the Lord 
has not forsaken us. He still richly blessed us because the Lord is gracious, merciful, and loving to his children. So impressed, David runs to worship. He runs to prayer. He runs to lifting up God in his heart and life. And he continues, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. So impressed and tested, here's, here's David running to community. He's being reminded of the fellow saints and worshipers of God who surround him and that it's in them he takes delight. Isn't it the case that when we are hard-pressed, when we are tested, one of the temptations we face is to think that we are alone and isolated. And maybe we are to some degree. Maybe those who once called us friends have deserted us. I mean, that happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. So we probably shouldn't be surprised at that. And yet here, David remarks that the believers who are also in this land, he takes great delight in them. The NIV says that verse this way, I say of the holy, holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. The NLT says it this way, the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. As I read this verse, Crosspoint, I was just so struck with the same reality. Heather and I have been, th- been at this church for, uh, from day one, from long before Sundays began. And so that's uh, 15 years this fall. The Lord has been so gracious to us uh, to bring fellow godly people alongside us through those years. As a pastor and your friend, you need to know that I dearly love this church. Um, I dearly love the people that go to this church. I dearly love those who have walked with us for 15 years and those who I've met just five months ago or, or five weeks ago. I take delight in being in community with you. I take delight in being alongside you in this body. This role is challenging. I am pressed and tested often. But when I am, the Lord also reminds me, and he has this week, of the people he has graciously brought into our path who walk alongside us, who join us on this mission, who support us and we support them. And there's a, there's a mutual aspect to the relationship. One of my hopes for us as a church this fall is that we really take some next steps in making community and relationships with, with one another a greater priority than we have for a long time. That in doing so, we'd come to delight in one another. We'd come to, to see that building 3D relationships and seeing a community of people devoted to Jesus, dedicated to one another, and driven to reach people is worth it, and that we need one another to do that. When tested and walking through trials, David runs to prayer, He runs to worship. He runs to lifting up God in his life. He runs to community. He runs to relationships with other believers who love God and worship God. And then in verse 4, it's as if David is reminded of the two paths that exist in life. He says this, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The idea of run after in the Hebrew means go and serve. Because again, when we're tested, when we're pressed, our sinful flesh will often try to get us to fall into temptation. When we're feeling attacked by others, the bitterness and hate can creep into our hearts. When we're stressed, we can pursue old ways of living and run after and go and serve small g gods. Maybe short moments of escape, but in the end they lead to sorrow. What are you going and serving right now? 
Are we going and serving the Lord? Are we going and serving ourselves or other small g gods? And David is saying here, I'm not going there. When I'm tested and stressed, I'm not going there. I will not fall to idol worship. But instead, I'm going to continue, continue to worship my Lord because, verses 5 and 6, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen me from fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, raise your hand if you are a firstborn in your family. You have no problem raising your first hands because you're firstborn, so that's right. Uh, okay, put your hands down. A lot of firstborns. Um, so I know we're safe. Um, raise your hand if you're, if you're a baby in the family. Yeah, those are all the fun ones. Some of you put your hand up really high because I'm a baby. Um, raise your hand if you're an only child. Yeah, you get everything. That's fine. Um, <clears throat> and then, okay. Um, so, David was the youngest son in a family of many sons. Oh, I forgot one, didn't I? I'm sorry. Raise your hand. This is your moment. Raise your hand if you're a middle child. Yeah, that's your moment. Okay. I'm a, I'm a baby. I'm a baby, but only with, with one older sister. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the baby. Um, so, David was the youngest son in a family of many sons, and it was much different then. Nowadays, the baby in the family gets everything, right? Oh, you're the baby. Let's, you know, give you everything. In the, and you, you're probably in your 50s, and you're the older child. You're the firstborn in the middle, and you're still bitter about this because the baby got everything. You had to blaze these trails. I didn't get to go to a dance till I was 22, and you went to the dance when you were five or whatever. I don't know. My wife is oldest of three sisters, and so it's fun to hear them talk because it's the case. And, um, <laughs> but in the Old Testament, the youngest son could expect no inheritance from the family. It went to the firstborns. So firstborns, this is your, this is your mo- moment, right? Middle children, you've been neglected all human history. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David knows that no matter what circumstances surround him, no matter if Saul eventually does kill him, no matter what trials and tests he may encounter in this life, the Lord is indeed his inheritance, that he has a good future to consider and be reminded of. God said this to the priests in the days of Moses. He said, I am your portion and your inheritance. And this promise was not just to the priest, but that extends to David and extends to us as new covenant believers and followers of Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us that, that uh, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit and that seal won't be broken until the day of redemption, the day we pass from this life to eternity. We have a great inheritance that can't be taken away from us as believers in Christ, that death can't take away, that suffering can't take away that we have a great inheritance. What you see David doing here in verses 5 and 6 is declaring his contentment, that he is content with what God has provided, not only in, in this life, but in the life to come. He's saying this area, this calling, this life, let alone the eternal life that you promised to me, Lord, I am content because the inheritance I have, I have in you is better than animals or land. He knows as the youngest, he's going to get nothing. 
but he knows he gets everything in God. Lord, you are my portion and my cup, and I wouldn't trade that for anything or anyone else. I wouldn't trade that for, for sin that may lead to sorrow. I wouldn't trade that for trusting in myself, which leads to uncertainty and being shaken. David is preaching to his own heart a very similar reality that, that Peter declared to Jesus back in the Gospels. So when, when followers of Jesus, they're, they're beginning to walk away from him because the teaching is too hard, they say. It's too difficult. It's too difficult to apply, understand. And so Jesus asks his disciples more or less, so are you going to go too? And I love Peter's response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? No, we're not going to leave. To whom shall we go? You're, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Basically, you're Lord. And even in the midst of trial, when being pressed as disciples, as followers, when you see other people leaving, walking away, Peter's leaning in. To whom shall we go? No person I'd rather follow because, Lord, you're good to your people. In verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Have you ever felt or found that, that when you're pressed and when you're tested, nights are not always fun? In those seasons, it can be hard to get to sleep. It can be hard to stay asleep. Your, your, your sleep, you wouldn't characterize it as being restful, but restless. I've laid in bed before, my eyes just kind of staring up at the ceiling, thinking, and my wife graciously says, so, honey, what you thinking about? Because, I mean, she can smell the wood burning next to me, the wheels turning. It's just, huh, you're really loud over there even though you're silent. You've been there before where rest escapes you because of the pressure and test? And it's as if David knows that and he's experiencing that and he says that even in the night, even in those restless moments, the Lord gives counsel and instruction. And the Lord does that through his word. David turns his heart to God's word. It's open my eyes that I might see the wonderful things in your law. It's, it's I'm hiding, my, hiding your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm meditating on your word. I'm, I'm allowing your word to kind of just dwell on my mind throughout the day. That one verse or that one phrase. And so the truth then of God's word trumps the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the thoughts that may be trying to captivate our attention. David's running to prayer. He's running to the Word. For me, when I'm in these seasons, I, I spend some time in, in the Psalms because they teach me how to pray. They teach me how to worship. They lift up God to His proper, holy, majestic, powerful, all-knowing place, and they put me in my proper place. And they better said they put the trial or, or thing that I'm kind of wrestling with in its proper place, which is little and wee. It is, isn't it? But boy, we flip-flop that. We think, God, you're, you're really not coming through. You must be really tiny and wee and small. It's really, this, this thing is giant in my life. It's really, Psalms does that, all, all Scripture does that, correct that into its proper perspective. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. And as believers in Jesus, we have this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit the third member of the Trinity that dwells inside of us. And we're told by Jesus that the Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, the one that counsels us at night. The one who instructs us in the truth when we've been tempted to believe lies. Uh, David continues, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. This verse is like the big idea of all 11. 
because David has set the Lord before him. He worships God. He stays in community with God or with other believers. He forsakes the path of sin and idolatry. He listens to the Lord, give him counsel and instruction. I've set the Lord before me. When I read that, you hear the intentionality of David. That David is continually making this choice to follow the Lord and not himself. That David is not just kind of accidentally or, or, or happening to follow the Lord, but he's doing it with purpose and resolve. So, have you set the Lord before you? Have you set the Lord before you? If Jesus is not Lord of your life right now, what are you waiting on? What are you holding back on? What's holding you back? What, what are you placing up instead of him? And this is not just a one-time thing at salvation, but this is kind of the, the posture of a believer. That in an ongoing way, we set the Lord before us. Are you setting the Lord before you in that relationship? As you go into dating, are you setting the Lord before you? Are, are you setting the Lord before you in how you love your spouse? You raise your kids? What about this? When you go into work, are you setting the Lord before you? Students, when you go back to school in a week, teachers, educators, when you go back to school, are you setting the Lord before you in all that you do? When something is before us, our eyes are fixed on, fixed on it. We're not getting out ahead of it, but we're keeping that in front of us because when, when that's in front of us, everything else gains its proper perspective. When we are pressed and tested, we're often tempted to sit, set the trial, uh, the obstacle, the sin before us, rather than the Lord. But when we set the Lord before us, it puts everything in its proper perspective. And it reminds us that the Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. All through the Old Testament, the right hand of God symbolizes all the power, the strength, the might. Lefties and southpaws, sorry, you're left out this morning as well. I'm not sure why it's the right hand, but that's just the nature of it. That's the nature of the Old Testament themes, that the right hand of God symbolizes all his strength and all his power when we set the lord before us we are reminded of his of his power of his ability to overcome of his ability to make new to reconcile to save to heal to endure and so we won't be shaken we won't trust in ourselves we'll trust in him david finishes therefore because of that truth because of who our god is because at my because the lord is at my right hand i shall not be shaken therefore My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The reality is that when we set ourselves before us, when we set ourselves before us, it leads to us being shaken. It will lead to the foundation of our lives feeling like it's crumbling when a storm comes because the cornerstone of our life is us rather than Christ. Not even death can shake the solid foundation we have in Christ. Death can't take away the inheritance we have in Christ. Death can't separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As one commentary said, death becomes a door instead of a wall, an entrance ramp, not an exit into the presence of God. And in Acts 2, Peter the one who told Jesus, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? He is then 
the one who saw Jesus crucified, raised to life on the third day, Peter quotes Psalm 16. Because ultimately, these verses here in the Old Testament point us to Jesus. They remind us that God the Father didn't abandon God the Son, that even though Jesus bore our sin on his, on the, on, in His body, on the tree, that Jesus, even though He did that, Jesus was without sin. He died so that we might live. His body did not decay because He was raised to life on the third day. He was raised so that we might find life as well as a living hope despite circumstances, trials, tests, temptations. Because in those moments, we can either trust in ourselves or we can trust in our God. We can trust in self. We can trust in Jesus. And we are told in the Psalms that the way of self-trust, it leads to sorrow, abandonment, isolation. But the way of trusting in Jesus leads to refuge, eternal safety, security, fullness of joy on this earth, pleasures forevermore. The idea of two different paths is throughout all of Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Proverbs, Gospels, it's all over the place. The path that leads to life and the path that leads to death. The one that leads to joy and delight and the one that leads to sorrow and brokenness. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the secret of Psalm 16. That is worth far more than gold. That the path of life found in Jesus leads to fullness of joy. Abundant life, as Jesus said in John 10.10. It leads to true, deep, authentic pleasure on this earth and pleasures forevermore. The Christian life is not endure this life, be miserable, get angry. If you can just hang on, then you'll find pleasure in heaven. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures, that's not just a, that's not an eternal thing. That's a here and now thing. Pleasures that within the boundaries of God's word. Pleasures are forevermore. The Lord is relentlessly going after where where you and I are trying to find our joy. Because His ways lead to life and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Keep in mind, this psalm is not a a promise of a problem-free life. David is experiencing problems in the context of the psalm. So the problems have led to this prayer and song. Without the problems, David probably would not have learned these deep realities. Without the problems, David would not have learned these deeper realities of God's love and and your identity in Christ. So the point is not to try to avoid all problems. It's rather, even in the face of problems and pressing and tests and trials, we are given a psalm here that leads us to reflect on the value, a value better than gold of what it means to follow and trust in the Lord. The worship team can come back up now. Uh, Verse 8 says again, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So what does it look like to intentionally set the Lord before us? Looking at the psalm, here's just a couple ideas. Prayer. This whole thing is David's prayer. And if you're wondering, okay, what do I pray? What do I I say? Pray Psalm 16. Use God's Word to back to Him in prayer. 
use these words. Prayer helps us set the Lord before us. As we begin our day, it helps us to set the Lord before us. As we walk into work, as we see that person, as we go into that environment, it helps us set the Lord before us as we pray. Community, you and I are not going to set the Lord before us alone or in isolation. Yes, we can pray alone. Yes, we can read our Bibles alone. We should do those things. But you and I are not going to do it alone. We need others and they need us. David delighted in God's people. You and I need people in our lives encouraging us, asking us, so are you setting the Lord before you? And where we're we're asking them, there's a mutuality to the relationship. The life of following Jesus is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an everyday, every moment way of life. Crosspoint, may we be people who continually, daily, weekly, moment by moment, when it's really easy, when it's really hard, to set the Lord before us. To set the Lord before us in areas and environments and relationships we've never done that before. May we do that as a group of people. And by doing so, may the world around us see the supernatural fullness of joy in us. Because in Jesus, we've found the path of life. Let's stand up and sing. You saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, he is with us, so be not dismayed. For he is our God, our sustainer and strength. He'll be our defender and cause us to stand. Upheld by his mercy for almighty In Jesus as Lord, we'll press on enduring the darkest of storms. And though even hell should endeavor to shame, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Burn, burn.
our prayer, Lord, what we just sang. I pray that you would be our firm foundation. I pray that uh, we would understand that with you as the cornerstone, that circumstances, sin, that the things that surround us do not shake us because you are at our right hand. I, I pray that you would remind us that you have led us on the path of life. You continue to lead us on that path and that on that path of life, on that path that pursues you, that that has you as, our, as the thing that we have set before us, as the Lord that we have set before us, that on that path is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it encourages us and teaches us, corrects us, rebukes us. I pray that it would continue to do that this week as we open up your word on our own, that you would open up our eyes to the wonderful things in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a guest with us, we'd love for you to fill out a connection card back at Guest Connections for, for us to get to know you. Meet somebody new before you leave. And this week, set the Lord before you. God bless.